Tim, episode 27 of the Assassin Runner Podcast. It's here. Week 7 of the NFL is toast. The only undefeated team left is the Steelers, and I am really sad. Uh, week 8, hopefully, is going to go a lot better for your and I's teams. I hope so. Uh, in our cups this week, it's a double dry hopped IPA from Brooklyn, New York, BK, stand up. Uh, you all know that you can find Stats of Matter wherever you get your podcasts. We told you to look at on your friend's podcast listings. It's probably there. I actually just got a notification this past week. Your grandmother now listens to Stats of Matter podcast. So if she's listening to it, there's no reason you shouldn't be. So find it wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify. And of course, follow us on the socials at Stats Don't Matter on Instagram and at Stats Podcast on Twitter. Let's get into the show, huh? Let's go. All right, guys. So normally we do what's in my cup at the end of each broadcast. Last week, we decided to switch it up and do it at the beginning. Uh, we're going to do that again today as well because uh, we're big boys now. We got our very first sponsor. You know, oh. we, We've been talking about how this thing is homegrown. We talk about how everything we've done has happened sort of organically. We weren't trying to, you know, not not to use the term sellout, but we weren't trying to just go for money and try to come up with ways to monetize this before we had anything that was worth value. And we still don't know if we're there yet. But uh, thankfully, we know some other people who are in very similar style businesses who started organically, who have worked really hard and worked with uh, a lot of the best people in their given industry to bring a phenomenal product, which Vacation Land Distributor has decided to sponsor us as our first sponsor. If you don't know them, uh, if you don't know them, they are a craft beer and wine distribution company from Portland, Maine. Um, Sam and I are both from Portland. If you haven't pieced that together, or we went to school up in Portland. We know some of these guys personally. Uh, I consider them, you know, good friends. Uh, the owner and I went to college together. His name's Jim O'Brien. Uh, he's, you know, someone I've been in constant contact with over the last few years. We're both big craft beer guys. Uh, it really reflects in the business model that he has. He focuses very heavily on real craft beer and some of the best in the industry across the board. He's always working to bring in whatever people are trying to drink, not only to take care of the consumers and their interests, but also to make sure he's taking care of the breweries and the businesses that he's also supplying. Uh, one of the only fleets that are 100% refrigerated, which is a pretty big deal. I know there's some arguments back and forth on can beer get warm, can beer get cold, what happens with the constant cycling of, of temperatures. They get rid of all of that by completely refrigerating all of the beer that they ship. And they were generous enough to supply us with some of the beers we're going to drink over the next few podcasts. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, well, what's the name of that song? Hey, hey, Ma, I made it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're finally made it to the top of the mountain here. Um, Jim and the whole team at Vacation Land, thank you very, very much for your generous donation. To, to support the Stats of Matter podcast, we truly appreciate it. You know, fun fact, I, I, there's always a lot of stories about how people are like, oh, like Maine, like, you know, you must know everyone there. And it's like, you know, it's only 1.3 million people. But I worked for, I worked underneath uh, Jim O'Brien's wife, actually, in the USM admissions department way back in the day. Uh, and then, of course, you know, link up with you. You guys know each other. Uh, it's crazy. You know, Jim and I have crossed paths. So um, it's kind of funny. Way back in the day when I started like a beer blog, I was like, oh, you know, I really got to try and get some 
some questions from Jim. So I still have those questions on tap. You see what I did there? That was a little, uh, little beer pun. Um, so hopefully we get those answers in the future. But again, thank you very much to Jim and the team at Vacation Land. Very, very appreciative of this. And we will not let you down. We got some plans uh, in the works to have them on at some point to kind of talk about craft beer, the industry, where things stand, the future of, you know, where they think beer is going, uh, cocktails, wine, everything. But good people doing good things with amazing beer and wine. Uh, if you don't work with them already, you should find them and make that happen. Um, bunch of great guys. So, yeah, I, I actually like to, like every time that I'm in the Portland area, I like to go to a, a couple of places, which I'm pretty sure uh, Vacation Land supplies. And I know that because I just follow their Instagram. <laughs> I just say, oh, <laughs> this is where they did a drop today. That's where yes. I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, these guys are really active on social media. Uh, you can find them on Instagram at VLand Maine and at VLand underscore New Hampshire. They also supply for most of New Hampshire as well, which means a lot of those New Hampshire beers are coming down the pipeline for areas that don't normally get that sort of activity. Uh, they were one of the first to get other half, Lawson's Finest, some of the you know more sought-after beers into the Portland area. So. Uh, keep your eye on their Instagram. Each one of the guys that work there can also be found. They also have Vacation Land in their name. Some of them are very entertaining. If you're a big sneaker guy, take a look. Some of those guys are great. But uh, yeah, we were thankful. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get supplied with other half this week. So a little different than what we've done previously, where Sam and I each had our own beer. We're actually going to review the same beer this week. And that beer is Ain't Nothing Nice by Other Hat. Double Dry Opt India Pale Ale, 6.2%. Uh, this can, again, I, we know that you can't really see us right now. That'll obviously be in the future, so you can see it then. But this just prismatic. Most of, like, the Other Half cans, like, you'll never forget, like, what an Other Half beer looks like because the cans just, like, they jump out at you. They, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I'm going to roll with it. Picture other half beers is like the trading cards that are like first edition or holographic rares. And that's pretty much what it is. Whenever you see them on a shelf, they pop and you're just like, oh my God, I have to get that. And then you're like, oh wow, the other half beers may be a little more expensive than your traditional down the road like lager, but it's worth every penny. Yeah, it is. Uh, funny enough, uh, a quick little unrelated note. If you haven't watched Abstract on Netflix, you need to. They, there's a whole episode on like type font and design and things like that. I watched that episode yesterday with my wife. And today, looking at this can and seeing all the thought that probably went into some of the design, if not, if not necessarily by the brewery, but the people who design the labels for them, uh, a lot of it makes sense. If you've ever seen an other half can, you know their logo in the lower left-hand corner. You know it's the same type font. The same logo design always takes up the same amount of space on the can. So very classy, um, phenomenal beers. Um, I've had a couple of them before. Uh, this is the for obviously they distribute now a little bit more widely. We actually get them here in Connecticut. I know Maine and Massachusetts, I think, also get them. Uh, well, we know Maine does because shout out Vacation Land, but I think Massachusetts does as well. But if you if they don't, Get yourself a way to get your hands on them because it is a world-class beer. All right, let's 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 go ahead and crack into this one. And don't be trying to give me no guff from a rating or anything. All right. Now, uh, a quick note on how this came about. Um, 
a couple of them listen to the podcast um jim does specifically and felt that uh maybe one or two of us in this podcast needed to step up our beer game uh he he felt maybe there was some pained listening to some of the beers that were being consumed. So he decided to really step it up. Um, we got some really special ones that came in the mail. Uh, I hope they all make it to air. If not, we'll definitely talk about them if we drink them off air. But uh, yeah, we got there were a couple that up. went directly into the uh, into the beer cabinet and scuffled, scuffled right away. Just just hanging out. They 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 are very very important. I I I may have one of the spoiler. I may have one of them early, and may do it on air. And we'll talk about it, and then we'll revisit one of those down the road when Sam decides to tap into his a year or two from now. <laughs> All right, cheers, sir. Cheers, indeed. And cheers to vacation land. And cheers to vacation land. Shout out, thank you. Oh yeah. That's phenomenal. It's pretty light. All right, so this is another one where, you know, if you're a, a casual beer consumer, uh, I mean, if you're an IPA drinker, you know it. I, I'm not, I'm just beating a dead horse. But if you're someone who's either getting into IPAs or someone who knows what an IPA is, but they're not really your style, this is another one that's a double dry hopped IPA, but is not a double IPA, which means you get all that full body, you get the full flavor, but it tends to be a lower ABV. This one's 6.2%. Normally a double comes in uh, a little bit higher. You tend to taste that a little bit uh, when you first take that first sip or some of them, you know, that are, are fruited or, or have, you know, some sort of fruit additive. Like there were some that came out with peach, not to throw any breweries under the bus, but they burned for like a month and a half until it finished conditioning in the can. Um, other half, just like Trillium, Treehouse, Vitamin C Brewing in Weymouth, Massachusetts, which if you haven't heard, put that one on your radar as well. Um, all of them have really found a way to get as much flavor into a beer without compromising or, you know, I know some people want the higher ABV in their beers. These, they're, they're very easy to drink. They're very smooth because it's lower ABV. You can have a couple more of them without, you know, feeling it too much. Uh, but they're just incredibly, incredibly smooth beers, and this one is no different. I really, really like this one. Yeah, I, I think like one of the things you take away from this beer immediately, like you said, is is the flavor. It's it's in the aroma. It's definitely in the body. <clears throat> and the thing that really drives a lot of people nuts about double dry hopped IPAs is because the process of dry hopping will definitely make the beer cloudy. Sometimes the the hot particles themselves, which are in suspended animation, will eventually drop down to the bottom of the can, right? So you you kind of get these little clunkers sometimes when you get them off the shelf. And this is not one of those beers you're going to see it with. I mean, it's just effortless the way it glides across your palate. It's got that nice, fresh citrus rind. And to be honest, I mean, at, at 6.2, this is a beer that I'm having a few, probably the entire four-pack while I'm watching, like, you know, a baseball or a football game because it's just criminally smooth and that's that's just like a hallmark of other half beers and this one does not disappoint either so we're gonna get let's, to you gonna get to it. the most contentious thing well I, I gotta tell you okay so i used to just do the regular you know quarter point rating on untapped but now i'm an untapped supporter okay so i paid <laughs> to get you know the little the little 10.10 uh digit rating so now i'm gonna i'm gonna legitimately rate these things okay um uh, just I like to do the whole 
one sip, give it a review. And one sip off this thing, this is like a this is like a four four. Like th- this is just it's just so good. Like for me, when it, when a beer is just so effortless that you just continue to want to keep drinking it in place yep. of other things or other beers, you know what I mean? That 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 really kind of drives it home for me. So I'm giving it a four four. All right, I'm gonna give mine a four two. Four two. Uh, I think it's phenomenal. Um, I've had different other half beers over the years. I used to be an avid beer trader. Um, so I've been getting them for uh, several years now. <clears throat> they make consistent products. They are one of those that tend to suffer a little bit where a lot of their beers kind of taste the same depending on the hops that are used. All the big hop houses tend to be in that same boat. Treehouse, I mean, if you've ever had Monkish from California, a lot of those taste like identical beers with different labels. That's not to say they're bad. Um, they're just very similar. Other half tends to be the same. Um, so when you ha- if you have a couple, you get a general idea of what you're going to get. Now, they have made some of the best beers I've ever had. Um, I'm going to hold off on, on discussing some of those in case we... Uh, end up with them back on the show but they did a couple collaborations at one point one with uh trillium that to this day is one of the best beers i've I've ever had so just and just some food for thought so this would be episode two in a row where if you had angry chair on your stasimeter bingo card you came close but tim did not give it to you so we got we got some stouts coming that might might give them a run for their money but we'll get to those later Well, this is pretty good. Uh, this, is a, this is a decent way to start off the podcast. Why don't we just do this all the time? You know what I mean? Done. Yeah. Done. Because let's be honest, some of these games we're going to go through here. Just yeah, You need a few of these. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me go ahead and recap Thursday Night Football, Giants-Eagles. Uh, I, I said there's there comes a time in every in every season where you have to debate what's doing Thursday night. And, of course, we know we had the, the second presidential debate. So I said we're going to start watching this game. We're going to flip over to the debate. Or I'll flip back. And I did that. Um, <laughs> I did say the Giants were going to win. Yeah, that's not what happened. So there's nothing like starting off the episode with the wrong prediction. But here I go. The Giants put up 21 points and then could not stop the Eagles from coming back. And they lost by one point. There's a really funny scenario in this game where Daniel Jones actually took off and almost had a running touchdown. Um, but he got tackled by the turf monster. I think he went like 80-some-odd yards. Uh, and he was faster than Lamar Jackson that week by top-end speed, which is kind of crazy. But Carson Wentz had a particularly nice evening, 346 passing yards, 7.5 yards per attempt. He had two TDs, another interception, but a rushing TD as well. You'll kind of take that, right? He actually tossed his second touchdown of the game to Boston Scott, who started in place of Miles Sanders, with 46 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, and that was sort of like the icing on the cake. That was it. Um, Although it's against the Giants, I think like you have to understand the NFC East that this string of division games could turn the race either contentious or over before the latter half of the season is deeply underway. So you can kind of lament that the teams all play in a historically weak division, which is like really being exacerbated and true this season. But at the same time, they have to grind out those wins, and you got to give credit to the Eagles for grinding out a win. Steelers, Titans. Uh, I thought this was going to be a field goal. Uh, Sam laughed when I said it. Uh, turns out it was a field goal, but it, it, it was the Steelers and not for lack of effort. Um, 
Unfortunately, they missed a field goal in the waning moments of what would have been a phenomenal drive to tie the game. But, alas, it's not meant to be. I'm telling you, I'm going to beat this drum until the end of the season. But, Tannehill, that man has come to play this season. And I think one of the things that's continuing to happen is as his opponents get a little bit more difficult and a little bit more difficult, he continues to prove himself. Of the two quarterbacks that are on that field, the better of the two was not Ben Roethlisberger this week. Not by a long shot. Uh, he was 18 of 30. He had two, uh, 220 yards, and he had two touchdowns and a pass rating of 104.9. He connected with A.J. Brown for 153 yards. And on the other side of the ball, Ben tossed three interceptions in a game that had just two touchdowns, it was a lot closer than what I think everyone expected it to be. I honestly think if the Titans are finding themselves, I think they're finding ways to kind of capitalize. If Derrick Henry gets neutralized, they rely on, on Tannehill to kind of step up and continue to uh, make improvements week in and week out, and we're starting to see some of that. I think some of the big conversation going into this week was whether or not Henry could stand up against big opposing defensive players. And I think you kind of saw a little bit of that. They held him to 75 yards on 20 attempts. I mean, the Steelers didn't have much on their end either. Connors, I think, finished with like 85 yards, but the Titans as a whole had 82 yards altogether. Everybody who held the ball and tried to run with it combined for a total of 82 yards. So the Steelers' game plan, obviously work. They're a great defensive team. We've seen that all uh, all season so far. But the look on Ben's face at the end of the game, I think is pretty much reminiscent to what everybody who watched that game, it was complete shock because you're looking at a guy who was almost automatic every other year. All he had to do was make, you know, kicking is obviously difficult. We know that, but he had to make a kick that he was pretty much guaranteed to make almost every other point in his career did not. And this isn't the first time he's had some of these big misses. He's actually having a pretty terrible season comparative to what he was the years before this. Uh, His percentage is at 62.5% this season, 25% lower than last year and his worst year on record. His rookie year, his first year in New England, he was 76.9, which ties the second worst year, which I think was maybe four or five years later. But he averages about 87.4% over the last 14 years. So I think what you're starting to see is a brutal drop-off from someone who's starting to show their age a little bit. And long-term, you wonder how much longer before you got to start looking to see... I mean, he's missing almost 30% of his attempts, which are pretty big deals when you're playing in some of these close games. So at some point... You got to start looking. I mean, they've been fine up until this point. They did. They are now no longer undefeated, but there were three going in this weekend and two played against each other. So you knew that was going to happen. Uh, close game. I thought they played it well. You got to be able to rely on your kicker in those clutch moments. You know, it was automatic. I wonder if some of this is, you know, some layover from the injuries and, and whatnot that have piled up. But at some point, you might have to start taking a look. Yeah. Uh, Cowboys football team. I said uh, the Cowboys are going to win bigly here, and every time I use that word, I end up losing. So this is this is zero and two to start the predictions off of this podcast. Um, I just want to go back a couple weeks ago. 
when Dak Prescott suffered that gruesome, gruesome injury. A friend of mine, Matt, podcast listener, frequent supporter, we got into a nice little back and forth, friendly discussion on the socials about why I should have picked up Andy Dalton off of waivers instead of Ryan Tannehill. Now, as I'm losing the Ryan Tannehill race to you every single week in stats, which don't matter, in uh, the eye test, and all these other things, I was like, Matt, there's no way. He's like, look, the weapons in Dallas are better. And I was like, well, I mean, uh, yeah, kind of. But I don't, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go with what I know. And last season I had Tannehill, and that was great. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go with it again. And wow. I don't understand (laughs) what is going on with the Dallas Cowboys. They got absolutely demolished in this game. it's the football team that, like, everyone was like, nah, they're not going to be good. And even understanding that in the division that is the NFC East, it, anyone can sort of take the pie. Like, this was a comically bad game for the Dallas yeah. Cowboys. Uh, now, there's a strip sack safety, six sacks, uh, and an incredibly dirty hit by linebacker John Bostic after he leveled Andy Dalton into the ground and took mm-hmm. his helmet off. Now, he got ejected, but he's not even going to get suspended. Like, no matter what happened, them boys are not able to overcome, like, what was a essentially a brutal beating at the hands of, of a division foe. Antonio Gibson, thank you very much for those fantasy points. Um, I think Dallas now needs to maybe look at themselves like as they're going to kind of be in the running for a solid backup QB to, to go ahead and take this thing. I'm not saying that Andy Dalton can't do it, but we, we have a very limited subset of data here, and it doesn't look very, very good. And I don't think Ben DiNucci is going to come in. I mean, he came in relief and he didn't really do much. I don't think that's necessarily what you want to do going forward. And you need to make a move quick ahead of the trade deadline before this thing kind of gets way out of hand. Yeah, the only two things I want to say about that game. Um, one, I think it was kind of indicative of what that season is and what that team is like, that nobody on the Cowboys side of the ball reacted to that hit. Like, not a single person turned and went to talk to the guy or cleared the bench for lack of a better description to stand up for him, which I think goes to show some of the sort of separation amongst those players and how the, the sum of the parts are not greater than any one individual. Every single person there seems to think that like, I'm on my own, I'm doing my own thing. That's him doing his thing. Like any other quarterback got hit like that on any other team. And you probably would have had a bunch of ejections because the benches would have cleared and people would have started throwing fits because that was that was bad. But the other second thing, we don't have to talk about it. We can talk about it on other podcasts. I think the slide rule needs to be revisited because it is somewhat difficult on a defender when you are trying to make a football move and determine whether or not the guy is going to dive forward or the guy is going to slide or what his game plan is. Because if you're some, we talked about this weeks ago, with someone like Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. At what point as a defender do you have to let up because you can't hit him high, that's a penalty. You can't hit him too low, also a penalty. So you got to go in and position yourself to make a proper tackle to not get penalized. And if you're trying to set yourself up for that and the guy starts to slide. Now, this was a dirty hit. It just started a bigger conversation, whether I think they need to say quarterbacks need to either commit to sliding the entire game or running the entire game, but you can't go back and forth between the two of them. Because if I'm a defender, I'm running at you. I have a split second to decide whether or not you're going to keep running or slide. Or you saw, uh, was it Russell Wilson? There was another. There was another running QB who literally like leapt 
through the air and then sled and, and landed in a slide. I'm like, okay, at what point am I allowed to hit you in that motion? So anyway, conversation for another time. But the fact that nobody even approached him or attempted to put hands on him goes to show sort of what that team is, which is just a, a raging dumpster fire. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Adam. Uh, oh, man. Bills, Jets. <laughs> from, one, uh, from one to another. Here we go. Yeah. Bills, Jets. Three, uh, 31.1. Do you know what number that is? Any no. guesses? No. That's Sam Darnold's QBR rating for the day. I honestly didn't even know it could go that low. I thought there was like uh, a floor at like 50%. I didn't know it could go down that low. He had two interceptions, six sacks, and a fumble. And this game overall had one touchdown. One touchdown. Josh Allen threw over 300 yards, but man, Sam, Sam was just bad. The coaching was bad. Everything about it was bad. I don't know what's wrong with that team. Uh, I don't think it's entirely Sam's fault. I know they are pretty high up the percentage list. I think they're at like 50, 55% or something for the first round pick going into next season, uh, going into the draft. But they got to fire someone. I don't know who. Maybe the Water Boys. I don't know. Fire somebody. <laughs> start making some moves. You got to make some improvements somewhere because it's really bad unless they've decided they are going to tank and they're just not talking about it, which would be the smart move. But Jets are, Jets are really bad. Yeah, they are totally bad. Uh, Panthers Saints. Look, I kind of thought, look, we're not going to see McCaffrey this week, but I really need to see something out of the Saints because I have serious questions about what they're capable of this far in the season. They haven't really, like, laid up to that expectation. Um, But they hopefully have the firepower to pull us out, and they hopefully will start a a pissed-off Michael Thomas. This is Saints big. And now I'm on three on this podcast starting out because (laughs) the Saints barely won this game, okay? They, they relied on the fact that Joey Slide missed a 65-yard field goal. Now, that I don't care how much firepower you have. If it comes down to the other team's kicker kicking from almost three-quarters of the field away, that I, it's not a moral victory for you. Um, Teddy Bridgewater stepped up, did what he had to do in this game. They kept the pace going, and this game was a lot closer than I think a lot of people thought it was going to be. McCaffrey practicing this week, most likely. Hallelujah. Um, so while it's a divisional game and that sucks for the Panthers it's like to lose, you learned a lot about this team and they're a lot more gritty, I think, than a lot of other people want to give them credit for. And then guess what? The questions I had about the Saints are not going away. Not necessarily that you should just be able to put down a team in your division. They're going to keep things close anyways, because they play you twice a year. But this didn't make any sense to me. It, it, like Thomas has not been part of the game plan for a while now. Trey Con Smith comes up in, in, in patches. It was national tight ends day this past week. So, you know, Jared cook got my fantasy point nine, you know, fantasy team nine points, really thankful for that. But outside of Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees, what does this team have? And I, I just don't, I don't necessarily see it. I don't think a collapse is coming, but people need to start looking at themselves in the mirror because if Michael Thomas comes back to this team and they still don't produce the way that they that they think. I mean, right now they're like they're in they're in the play for the wild card. <laughs> if you look at like if playoffs started today, they're at the bottom of the wild card rankings. This is not what you would think of a team that is loaded with perennial talent, went to the NFC championship game a few years in a row. And just like it, is this like the hangover without the Super Bowl? I, I think that's what it is. 
I got Packers, Texans. Uh, I thought the Packers are going to have a little bit of a hangover from their loss, and the Texans might win. And man, I am so good at these predictions. I'm so good at them. <laughs> Buy a lottery ticket, Tim. Uh, so I went against the odds here. The Pack had not lost back-to-back games since the start of the 2019 season going into this game. Rodgers had not yet ever lost to the Texans. I looked at all that and just said, easy. Texans are finding their way. They're putting games together. Sean Watson's kind of hitting his stride a little bit, and that is exactly what did not happen. Uh, Packers put up 35, and they beat the Texans by 15. Most of that's on the back of another stellar outing uh, by Aaron Rodgers. But Devontae Adams put on a show. He had 196 yards. He had uh, two of the 14 touchdowns that they did have. So um, I'm not wishing bad things upon that guy, but I hope he dropped his coffee all week because I went up against him in two different leagues. And uh, (laughs) you can imagine how well that went. Um, By contrast, Aaron Rodgers and his QB rating was 100 points higher than Darnold's. 100 points. So, hashtag fire Adam Gacy. Starting to feel bad and get a lot of the Matt Ryan vibes for Watson because he had another decent outing. He had 100 yards and he had no turnovers, but the defense just couldn't keep it together again, and they let Adams torch them literally all over the place. And it seems like a recurring theme for those guys. It's going to make for a very, very long season. They've already had a coaching changeover, so what else do you got to do now? Maybe Watson, Ryan, and Burroughs can create their own little support group, get together and have little powwows about bad defenses <laughs> and, 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 and uh, defenses that can't keep them in games when you go out and have, you know, big gaudy numbers like that. But obviously Deshaun's not the reason they're losing games. He's got weapons. That's not the reason. Coaching, they just had a changeover, so maybe we'll chalk it up to them sort of finding their way a little bit. But, um, man. I, I I feel bad for that guy. Him and him and Matt Ryan, those are the two that uh, yeah, who have to look at themselves in the mirror every night and be like, "Holy shit, what what more do I have to do to try and win some of these games without you know publicly calling out your defense?" And I, I don't want to do this, but let's do a name association. You start out as Deshaun Watson, and if you don't win anything, you become a Matt Ryan, and if you continue not win anything, you become a Philip Rivers. That's Ooh. just that's that is not a career trajectory you want to go on whatsoever. No. That it, and uh, just it's, it's uh, I, I just can't even say any more about it. No, and a Dak Prescott, you could throw him in there too until he, you know, R.I.P. his lower leg. Dick move. It literally bent the wrong direction. He'll be yeah, fine. I, so you can uh, make that joke now. He'll be fine on another team because the Cowboys are not going to pay him. Yeah. Uh, Browns, well, the- Bengals. I tried to reverse curse the Bengals again. It worked the last time, so I thought it was going to work for them this time. Uh, and look, if you watch the beginning of this game, you're thinking, hey, Sam knows something, and it's, it's kind of working. Mayfield went 0 for 5 and threw a pick. Odell Beckham left this game with a knee injury. Yeah, what happened after that was kind of bonkers because there were five TDs that were thrown in the fourth quarter. Uh, and the AFC North really kind of showed that defense is not their thing, but when they really need to scheme some points, they can do it. After those five incompletions, Baker Mayfield went on a tear. Completing 21, 22 some odd passes and the aforementioned five TDs. He threw the game winner, a 28 yard strike to a single covered Donovan Peoples Jones. And the Browns won 37 to 34. Now, that only happened 
obviously because Odell left the game with a knee injury. And it was confirmed to be an ACL tear, so he's out this season. But there was a lot to read behind the lines here. Joe Burrow's absolute animal. Just doing great things. This is crazy. According to Cincy Jungle, which is a, you know, a Bengals fan page on uh, SB Nation, Burroughs became the first rookie quarterback in NFL history to throw 400-plus yards and three scores in a single game. He also became the fourth rookie in NFL history to have five-plus games of 300 yards passing in a single season, and the record is six. It's held by Colts' Andrew Luck. So can that record be matched or exceeded? I think it can, given how tough their division is and given the fact that there's so many injuries to the Bengals' running game, like with Mixon not be able to stay healthy. They don't really have a choice. Okay, but this is absolutely wild. We want to talk about the Browns. How bad are the Browns? Why? What's up with the Browns? And somehow the Browns are just finding ways to win ugly. But that's what counts in this league. The last thing I'll say, Carlos Dunlap, who was already a subject of trade talks, was a, uh, a Bengals defender, got into sideline arguments with coaches, fellow players, and then post-game put a tweet up saying that his house was for sale. Now, he deleted the tweet. But this was the gist of the tweet. Here's where my house is. Four bed, four bath. Best school district in the area. Amazing views. Call me serious inquiries on. That is not good. Like everything that Burroughs is doing to keep that team together, its own team is trying to undo from like the inside. And it's just like, okay, AJ Green is now finally catching passes and staying somewhat healthiest. Can, can you guys just keep it together there in the natty? And if you do... I think there's going to be some good things to come out of it. We said that in the beginning of the season. The Bengals are going to win some games. They probably should. The people don't think they're capable of winning. We know they have the pedigree to win these types of games. Literally, Burroughs went down, scored a touchdown every single time they needed him to, and the defense completely collapsed. You give Burrow college rules, he gets another chance to go down and score another touchdown, he was going to score another touchdown. This is what happens if you let Joe keep on roaring a little bit, if you know what I mean. You are a huge Joe fan. Dude, let's pump the brakes a little bit. He beat the Browns. So I'm gonna say, <clears throat> good outing by him. Yeah, sure was. All right, uh, Lions Falcons. I thought this one was gonna be a tough one. Trisha statement game, maybe. ATL. Big Lions will figure out a way. Uh, it definitely was not a statement piece. That's for damn sure. Uh, but it was a win, so that's neat. Uh, it's the second game this season where Stafford put together a game-winning drive. That's kind of cool. But the most staggering part of all of this, this is the first time since week two and three of 2019 where he has won back-to-back games. Oh. A lot of games between then and now if you guys Ooh. aren't counting. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. Uh, and it took 340 yards to do it against a team that is one in five. Um and a team that historically this season has given up a lot of points. The two quarterbacks combined for a total of 678 yards. And with all that, they had two passing touchdowns between the two of them. One apiece. That's just bad. It's another weekend of some outrageous basketball type scores. Each week, it seems these scores get higher and higher and higher. It's unreal. Like If you look at college, they're just as high, if not higher. But when you're putting out that much yardage, and have zero success finding the end zone, it's that's not a recipe for a fun game to watch either. It's cool to see him throw the ball all over the place, but if you're not scoring points, that's bananas. Combined, guess how much they had on the ground? 
Oh, combined? Well, you said they both, you know, the QBs had 678 yards in the air, but only two passes TD. So I'm going to say there's probably like 140 rushing yards. Well, Sam can see the show notes, so every time we do this, it's just for pretend. Uh, but false. It's, a, it's 130 yards. Uh, every time I ask these, we, we're both looking at the same thing. I'm going to start keeping my own notes. Cheater. Uh, Gurley still hasn't found his way yet. He's averaging 15 yards less per game on the ground and 17 receiving yards less this season than he had over the last few seasons. He's got to turn that around. The Falcons want to stop dropping some of these games where they should win. But at the end of the day, uh, their defense is hot garbage, so Matt Ryan can throw 500 yards and 12 touchdowns, and that defense is still going to find a way to cough up losses. So The uh, absolute crazy thing, the absolute crazy thing about this game was that Gurley just needed to go down before the goal line and eat the clock out, kick a field goal, they, they win that game. Instead, yeah. he goes over the plane, they get in the touchdown, Matt Stafford drives all the way down the field yep. and scores the game-winning touchdown. Yep. <laughs> Like there's a, there's a lot of those. The, where did the Falcons? Uh, didn't they do it in the Super Bowl? Could they have just kicked the field goal, but then they got sacked and went out of field goal range, and then orchestrated one of the greatest? Co- yeah, mm-hmm. there's something that's like wrong with that organization, and clearly it's not the coach. Bell seems um, to start. Bell seems to start for a one particular uh, instant that happened a few years ago, but shall go unnamed. Haven't mm-hmm. been the same since. Nope, sure haven't. And you're referring to when they piped in fan sound, which was illegal then, but it's not now. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. That one. <laughs> All right. So I had to move around. Obviously, the the Seahawks, they were slated to face the Cardinals at 425. But because the Raiders' entire offensive line decided to catch COVID or catch the test, uh, they flexed that game at a prime time. So the Bucks raiders game went to the 4 o'clock hour. I thought it would be close, but Tampa Bay would win again, 28-24. Yeah. <clears throat> This was a game that looked like it got really out of hand. If you just look at the final score, um, scoring drives back to back on drive attempts by the, the Buccaneers before halftime put the Raiders down big. Uh, and when they came out of half, they just added to the lead and it kind of got worse from there. You have to give credit to what the Raiders are capable of doing, which is scoring points in bunches when they actually need to. Uh, they play in a really tough division, anyways, in the AFC West. Um, but they managed to come within one score of that lead that the Buccaneers had built up, thanks to a Darren Waller TD pass. Again, my fantasy team thanks you. And Daniel Carson field goal, they got within four. But the Bucs just absolutely exploded in the back half of this game. And in the fourth quarter, they put on three extra scores, and the Raiders just didn't answer. And if you want to get into a prize fight with Tom Brady, you need to keep striking. And that's what the Raiders ran out of. They ran out of jabs and punches, and they didn't have anything left for the latter stages of the game. They looked gassed, and it was bad. I mean, the game ended up saying it best. I mean, the Bucs won 45-20. to 20. What's more incredible here is that Brady was not picked off or sacked once. Mm-hmm. Kept clean all day. If you keep that guy upright and clean, he will find a way to pick you apart eventually. There's no way a guy who has like 20 years' worth of memory film for every single team in this league, he's got to find a way to eat you alive. Your only hope is to trade punches with him or get him on the ground. And the Raiders just weren't able to do enough of that. Now, again, if the Raiders had got a few, gotten a couple of sacks, maybe this thing would have kept close enough for Derek Carr's three sacks to be nullified. 
but the Raiders put up 100 yards less than the Bucks through the air. Only nine yards less rushing, but that's football. It's a cruel sport. And you got to come correct when you're going against one of the best passers in the game. Both quarterbacks had 12 incompletions. But Brady had nine more passes and turned those passes into 100 extra yards. Do the yards per attempt. That's absolutely brutal. Like some of those were short fields because there was an interception or sacks. But, man, I think the Raiders are a good team. I think, unfortunately, their schedule has been ultra tough, and they play in a division where Patrick Mahomes gets to just do whatever he wants every single week. This was a bad showing. But it really it really got bad in the fourth quarter. I, that's that's where it really got out of hand. I think if, if the Raiders had managed to keep it a little bit closer, this could have been a somewhat exciting game. But you just cannot give up three touchdowns of to Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. That, that evaporates any hope you have of winning that game. Yeah, I mean, do you remember a couple weeks ago when everyone was, oh, Tom Brady, look at him, he looks old. Tom Brady, look at him, he's not, he doesn't have any more. And some of us on the other side were like, well, let's give him a little bit. Let's pump the brakes. He hasn't had any offseason. He hasn't had any preseason. This is a new team. They're just kind of figuring out their way. I mean, his QBR was 127. Mm. And he had, a, like, he was throwing the ball all over the place. He had, like, a 35-yard bomb at one point. Um, we also got called out a couple weeks ago by misleading for one of our um, one of our podcast titles, which says, wait, the Raiders are good, uh, because he thought we were going to kind of gush over Derek Carr a little bit. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Derek Carr is having a better season, but you got to look at where that bench started. Or, sorry, where that bar started and where he is now obviously he's playing better football than he has over the last few years his qbr is up around 80 where last year was 65 46 the year before that like 51 the year before that so yes of course his ceiling is much higher for improvement than anybody else that he's playing against because well not anybody but a lot of the guys he's playing against because he was just that bad so is Derek carr playing better yes he is is he taking care of the ball better of course he is but that doesn't mean he's playing in elite level. So until he gets to that point or until we start seeing him string together some consistent wins, yeah, has he had some big wins and he's, he played well against teams? Yep. Although the Patriots is one of those teams we thought he played well against. And then look what the Patriots have done over the last two weeks. So maybe the Patriots aren't as good of a team as what we thought they were. Obviously, yeah. we got the, the Chiefs game. That's a different scenario. So not to take anything away from him, he's doing fine. But I'm not quite ready to gush over Carr yet. We got to see a couple more weeks of him doing well, and then maybe we start bringing him into the conversation. All righty, all righty. Anyway, anyway, uh, <clears throat> Jaguars and Chargers. Uh, I said Jack by 14, baby. And did I mention <laughs> how good that was? <laughs> I've already mentioned it once or twice, but let me go ahead and reiterate how good I am at these picks. Because if you're not paying attention, uh, I am amazingly bad at picking, apparently. Uh, not really. A lot of these picks that went against the grain were pretty close. Some of them I lost. Some of them I won. Um, anyway, Sid Jaguars by 14. I thought the mustache was going to come out and find a way to kind of rebound and bounce back. Uh, no. Chargers put up 39. They won by 10. This is the Justin Herbert show all the way. You have to wonder if this type of game helps put some rest to some of the criticism and naming him the starter. And it really can't feel that good if you're Tyrod because the man put on a clinic. He had 347 yards. 
He had three touchdowns. He had his first rushing rushing touchdown of the career. Those passing touchdowns were no joke either. Every single touchdown were for 20-plus yards. So he's slinging the ball. Uh, Keenan Allen is quickly becoming his favorite target each week. He had th- but three of the touchdowns, all three of them, went to one. Donald Parham, who's a rookie. Two, one went to Virgil Green, who averages 8.3 yards a game. And then Jalen Guyton, who is in his second year. Really, this is his first year because he saw almost no action last year. He's seeing an uptick in action this year. So it just means they're getting creative and they're finding ways to make games competitive. There's still a lot of ground to make up. They still obviously have a lot to come back from a they're now two and four. But if you can go out and make passes to guys who are relative no names, no no disrespect to those guys, but they haven't really done much this season or in previous seasons. There's really no history to look at there. They haven't produced a lot leading into this, with the exception of uh, Guyton, who has done a little bit more this season than he has last season. Uh, but still, just goes to show. They're trying to find ways to make this work. Uh, They're stringing them together. Put a few more of these together, and suddenly the Chargers look like a team that could compete, at least in their division, and maybe play a couple upsets going towards the end of the season. Yeah. Um, I've watched a lot of Pac-12 football, so I have seen in the past. So I've seen what what Herbert is capable of. This This is nothing surprising. This guy is incredibly frustrating if you don't actually find a way to get him down or at least kind of knock him off. Just like when he gets confident, like it, he, it really gets going. I don't think that the hard knocks really did enough to show him. I thought it was more about Tyrod and his work ethic. And, and that's great and everything. Yeah. But this might be one of those scenarios where Rook comes in and steals a job and never gives it back. So, yep. At Niners. I thought there's no way. There's no way. Bill, Bill Belichick has all the tape on Jimmy G. Bill Belichick, you know, Harbringer of, of, of the, the defensive teams, Bill Belichick, greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick. Cal Shanahan says, I hear you, Sam. Now I'm going to go ahead and make you eat those words. So yeah. this is me eating those words. Um, the only thing that Bill Belichick did was manage to stop George Kittle from going over 100 yards. That was it. Uh, because this is one of the worst losses by a Patriots team Underneath Bill Belichick, 33 to 6. They got the doors blown off of them. Cam Newton threw three picks, and he was eventually replaced by Jared Stidham. The Niners rode Jeff Wilson for three TDs, even as injuries continue to pile up for them. For a defensive minded genius like Bill Belichick, this team was eaten by the Sharks today. Yep. And the Sharks were wearing San Francisco colors and just running, like running all over them and just making them look like chump. I cannot recall a loss this bad in my short football memory of like the last 10 years. I got a decade of watching these games and I go, yeah, you got your ass beat. Like you got knocked yeah. the F out. Like that's what happened. Like you, yep. you, you got, you got punched. All right, cool. We'll come back. You got punched again. You got punched again. And then at some point you, you got to throw the Rocky Forge in there, throw the damn towel, throw the damn towel, but it didn't happen. Um, no, I've never bad. seen so many missed tackles, mm-hmm. errant passes that were just off. I don't think Rust begins to explain what the Patriots have and why they appear to be so blocked down. All the cam doubters are beginning to get their I told you so banners out there. <laughs> Flipping them out. They're going to start flying them pretty soon. And mm-hmm. you can't really blame them. I mean, it feels like to me there's something going on that we're not privy to. Is Cam hurt? Is the locker room splintered? 
Um, are people really upset about the fact that Brady's not there anymore? They didn't really clean house. Like ahead of the trade deadline next week, this once vaunted defense like could be cut thoroughly. Like yeah. I don't understand why you would go to make a move for Stephen Gilmore. He, he's the defensive player of the year, and now he's he's the subject of a trade talk for what? What like are you are you trying to hashtag tank for Trevor? Like what is going on here? And yeah. I think what we all need to start realizing, and a friend of mine, uh, Kyle, he listens to the podcast. We, we text back and forth. He talks shit all the time. He he believes that Bill Belichick is not really the greatest coach leading to this transition. And I have to start realizing that, like, not everyone's going to produce like the GOAT does in Bill's system. I think we saw way back when, and this is my counterpoint always, oh, Matt Castle went 11-5. There's something just about Brady being in that system. It just allows the Patriots to just, just work magic. And it's not there. And for Patriots fans, that's a very, very tough thing to look in the mirror and say, oh, maybe we don't have it this season. And I don't – I'm just kind of at a loss for words. Like, who's yeah. the better system? Like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Who's better, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? Belichick's a great coach. Belichick is great at taking dudes who work in the supermarket and turning them into undrafted studs. And they get paid somewhere else and they don't produce. This is an abject failure in everything I think that the Patriots yeah. wanted to accomplish this season without Tom being on that team. And I mean, it's a good thing I'm not a Patriots fan because this would be a tough pill to swallow. You know what I mean? This is just yeah. something weird. Yeah, it is. And like I, I said in the beginning, I wasn't totally sold on Cam, although I was impressed over the first few weeks. And as much as you want to maybe peg this one on, on Belichick, the guy can scheme all he wants, but it was just a terrible outing from Cam and the offense in general. And if you are on the defensive side of the ball for like 90% of a game, there's no way you're going to be able to keep that up for the entire duration of that game. But, I mean, if we look at attempts for both Jared Stidham and Cam Newton, they combined for 25 passing attempts. They didn't make all of them. They made 15 of those, but they only were on the field enough to try 25 times between two quarterbacks rushing. They had, let me, let's see, 17, 21, 24 attempted runs. Like, that's it. That's, you had the ball for that few times where literally you could do nothing but put your defense on the field because they could not complete a a pass of any type. Like they had 17 first downs compared to San Francisco's 26. But if you watch that game, they looked terrible. Cam was missing guys who were wide open by not like sometimes we, when we, I'm just going to draw comparisons to Brady just because that's the conversation. But sometimes when we say Brady missed a pass, it's because he threw it slightly behind a guy or slightly over his head. These were like five yards off or like four yards before. I, it was bizarre. And I agree with you. There's got to be something there that we're not privy to. But I don't think Bill Belichick's a problem because you can game plan all you want, but you can't go out and, and throw it. Now, one last thing is we, do, we did think the defense was overachieving this entire season. They had a lot of their starters out. They have some down for injuries, yet they were still finding ways to put games together. Maybe we're just starting to see what that means to lose all of those people and how that actually translates to on the field play. But anyway, that was really bad. And as a Patriots fan, 
Uh, I know we can't tank for anybody anymore because we are out of the running. The Jets are running away with that. Um, <laughs> but something, tank something's got to give. Tank for Trevor. <laughs> we would have to lose every game from now and then hope, hope the Jets somehow squeak out five wins. <laughs> I don't think the Jets got five wins this week. Mm. Uh, this, uh, this season. Uh, <clears throat> Chiefs Broncos. Uh, not a terrible reason to go into this one. The Chiefs won big. Don't need to break it down too much. When you score, or when you see the score, uh, you would expect big numbers from Mahomes. Wasn't quite the case. The scoring got spread out quite a bit. Mahomes was held about 200 yards in the air. But Byron Pringle scored 92 yards off a kickoff return. Daniel Sorensen, he had a 50-yard pick six. A whole bunch of field goals, one passing touchdown, and two rushing touchdowns. It was a group effort to get this win. Um, overall, pretty quiet game offensively. Block did struggle a bit again. He had two interceptions, but he did tend to spread the ball all over the place. He had eight receivers in double digits. But the Chiefs are a tough team. Turnovers aren't going to help you in any capacity, uh, especially one of them results in points. Unfortunately, if you're not only giving up the ball, but you're giving up points every time you give up the ball, it's not it's not going to end well for you. So, Locke's got a lot of work to do. There's already some grumblings there as to whether he's that guy or not. Uh, I don't know who they would even change for right now. Um, I did hear, and I should have mentioned this earlier, I did hear some grumblings that the Cowboys might be trying to bring back a little bit of a surprise QB that would blow my mind, and I'm sure most people in the league, given the environment in Dallas and uh, the fan base. But there's a one Colin Kaepernick who's out there, and there are some rumors that uh, they may be interested in seeing what he has to uh, offer. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, I hope I get a chance to <clears throat> provide some SPAC analysis on that here coming up. But yeah. uh... Wow, it's a very bad week to go against the Chiefs' defense fantasy, which I did in in my in my in my big league. I had them in my other leagues, so I, I laughed. I was like, oh, "Oh, points! Oh, points!" And I looked at the other league. I was like, "Wow, I'm being crushed!" And I also <laughs> faced Devonta Adams and Aaron Rodgers. So that was just a that was a bad week for me. Okay, Sunday night football, Seahawks Cardinals. We have to talk about it. We have put this off for long enough. I have not talked about this. Uh, I've, I've spoken about it on, on social media very, very sparingly. Um, I said, Seattle fans, last week, do yourselves a favor and start taking your bare aspirin if you haven't already, because the next five games include the Vision Foes and the Bills. And let's not forget that the Cardinals thumped the Niners, who just thumped the Rams. So teams always play each other tough. And I said, you cannot take your eyes off this team, the Cardinals. You just can't. Yep. Russ is going to throw a pick. But the Cardinals are going to realize they don't have an answer uh, for DeAndre Hopkins. That man's going to score at least twice. I said, I trust Russ too much after the bye week. I said, Seattle will lose to Arizona, but it just won't be this week. And wah, wah, wah. I, really, <laughs> I, have, I have sat on this. I haven't prayed on this, but I've sat. I've reflected. I've thought about this for a long time. Okay. I hate it when I'm right about particular parts of how a game plays out. Because even if, if the final score or the victor are not correct parts of my prediction, I seem to get everything else right. Which is not good because that just means I have an implicit bias, which of course I'm going to against a Seattle-based team that was five and zero for the first time in franchise history, and I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. 
Um, look, I said maybe Arizona's a team that because their first two losses, they took their eye off the ball. Sunday night, it was Seattle who took their eyes off the ball. The barn burner 6-6 tie that happened in 2016, uh, that was already out of our minds within the first five to ten minutes because they were already scoring touchdowns. And the defense weren't doing nothing. So I said, okay, here we go. Then Russ threw a pick. And then he threw another. And then he threw one more for good measure in overtime. Mm-hmm. And Seattle lost his first game of the season, 37-34. I started Kyle Murray in fantasy. And he made the Seattle defense, what's left of it, look silly. Like, they just couldn't stop anyone that night. Um, yep. They, they, look, they look silly a lot. Like, the time they allowed a touchdown pass to uh, – hold on. Let me check my notes. A single cover DeAndre Hopkins. Or the time they allowed Murray to fake them out and score an outstretched keeper touchdown on the goal line. Kyler Murray is five foot ten. How do you let that dude stretch out and score a touchdown? <laughs> I know. I, like, this – how does this even happen? Like this, we're going to go through the five stages of grief in this, in this recap, because I'm just like, uh, somehow Russell kept coming out and delivering in spite of those mistakes. Tyler rocket, 15 receptions, 175 yards, three TDs. Sorry to everyone. Not sorry. Who faced me this week when I started Tyler in both of those leagues and smoked them. Um, Tyler had an absolute toe drag swag of the year contender. Fourth and two touchdown in the back of the end zone. Yet. If Afghanistan is described as the graveyard of empires, then Glendale, Arizona needs to be described as the graveyard of Seattle football hopes and dreams because look what's happened there. They lost the Super Bowl on an interception. They had a 6-6 tie there a couple years ago that fractured the Legion of Boom and put it out to pasture for good. And Russ threw a pick in OT tonight again, like he did when he threw a pick in OT last season against the Niners, and they lose by a field goal. Seattle's great in one-score games. They like to thrive on it. They say, oh, you know, we really want to be the team that is, like, galvanized by that. Well, they ran out of magic in Glendale Stadium on Sunday night in primetime. Now, of Russ's three picks. (sighs) Jesus Christ. Wasn't good, man. Wasn't good. (laughs) The first one, he lofted up to Chris Carson and Buda Baker, snatched it out of the air. Like, he knew it was going to come. You know why? Because they got cute, and they threw that pass, and they shouldn't have. Chris Carson left this game. He had a foot injury. Who knows if that's why he didn't jump up for it? I don't know. When you see someone put air underneath the pass, you say, please, 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 don't pick it off. Oh, shit, there it goes. Oh, Buda Baker's running it back. DK Metcalf with the play of the year, tracking that dude <laughs> down 90 yards and tapping him on the eight-yard line. Unbelievable. Four, three, that's terrifying. A- a- absolutely crazy. He ran by everyone. Russ was like, oh, yes, I guess I'm just going to let him go. And then DK went right by him. Russ, go get him. Like, no, you should have got him. That was your fault. The second pass on a loft pass again to DK. Patrick Peterson picks it off. The third interception in overtime, crossing routes. Russ just lost it over. Someone ran the wrong route. There was nothing that Seattle could do to get out of their own way in this game. They had the ball. Arizona had no timeouts. It was one minute and 40 left to go. They could have run the clock out if they just scored a first down. And what did they do? They went back to 2016 to 2019. Seattle Seahawks, run, 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 punt. Cool. Cool. And you give a team that you haven't been able to stop all night the ability to go back and score again and tie the game, send it to overtime. And you're lucky you didn't lose on the first time you gave the ball to them because they miss a field goal because Cliff Kingsbury tried to save his team from getting a delayed game. 
there is so much about this team that I'm just like, wow, what happened? But that's because I'm a homer. So I, I, I take a look back and I sit and I objectively think about it. Seattle, 5-0. Seattle, braggadocio, all the swagger coming out of the bye. Oh, no one could stop us. And yet the Arizona Cardinals just thrashed the Dallas team. That we just saw the Washington football team thrash too. So it's not a fluke. You have to beat up on the bad teams to stay in contact with the good teams. And this game represents for me what's so tough about playing the NFC West. There is so much talent on all these teams. It's unbelievable. These division games, you have to win them because of how tough the NFC is going to become. Trust me, I went to bed like wicked mad, right? But when I think about it, mistakes, defensive miscues, penalties, like the Ben Samoa special teams penalty that gifted the Cardinals a first down that they went and scored a touchdown on, leverage on top of, of a field goal. You know what I mean? Like there were a couple of these calls that like some Seahawks fans were like, oh, this is BS. The refs are trying to get us against us. Like, no, you just can't make those mistakes. You can't leave DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one on a fade route to the end zone because you're going to get burned. You can't hope that because Russ just lifts the Titanic up every single week that he's going to be able to do it forever. People do have limits. They're human. And now everyone says, oh, well, hmm, Russ has uh, got six picks now. So maybe he's not the MVP candidate anymore. Mm. And as a Seattle fan, you're kind of like, you know, I'm really upset, even though they're five and one. Like, this is the crazy thing about Seattle Seahawks football. They could win five games, you're a high as hell on them, and then they get one loss, and you're just like, oh, my God, this is crazy. It was an incredible off day in Glendale, Arizona. I'm happy they scored more than six points. But like I said in the beginning, man, I am really sad. I've accepted it, but I'm really sad. Yeah, man. Uh, you know who had one more? Or he had one more pick then? No. Sam Darnold. Moving on. <laughs> uh, Bears, Rams. So Stats don't they- matter. Stats don't matter. Stats don't matter. <laughs> uh, at the Bears, Rams, <clears throat> it was a tough week. For me and my picks, to say the least. I thought the Bears were going to pull this one out. I thought, you know what? They might expose maybe some of what we've been talking about with the sniff, the, the sniff test for Los Angeles. Uh, and that is not what happened at all. Now, this nope. wasn't a... This was a pretty decent game by Jared Goff. Again, he's put up some good ones, 23 of 33. He had 219 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, So he put together a pretty decent game. Do you know who did not put a a decent game together? Probably Nick Foles. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't Nick Foles. It wasn't great. Looking like Uh, Mitch Trubisky out there. Two interceptions, 28 of 40. Uh, we already talked about, you know, when you start getting to that 50% range, that's not going to do it. He did have 261 yards, so he was making moves, uh, on his side of the ball when he had the opportunity. They just weren't running the ball particularly well. Uh, I mean, they, realistically, they just weren't doing anything particularly well. They had a total of 46 total rushing yards for the entire team, uh, on 17 attempts, which... Is weird because I always thought of them as sort of like a run-first team, even with Nick Foles in there, but uh, are not necessarily run-first. I thought they would. They were a team that tend to rely pretty well on having the run to augment, you know, the offensive side. They said, to hell with it. We're just going to throw the ball all over the place. Uh, 
everybody on the offensive side of the ball except for the quarterback was basically in double digits in receiving yards. Uh, save for Shane Wims, he had eight. But everybody else was in double digits. So, but I'm sure those eight yards counted for something. You know what I mean? Like they must probably have. probably setting up like a key first down or a third down conversion or something. You know, like yeah, 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 something like that. Because guess how many touchdowns they had uh, in the air? None. Um, guess how many rushing touchdowns they had? Also none. I'll save you the trouble. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> defense. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. So not a great outing. Uh, they're just not, it's, it's not going to work. You, you thought Foles coming in might be a little beacon of hope. There might be something there for them to kind of build upon, and they didn't. The only reason this game didn't look worse than it was is because in the fourth quarter, Eddie Jackson had an eight-yard fumble return. Uh, it just wasn't great. Wasn't great. I don't have a lot of hopes for... The Bears, I thought, folds. I, I really hope that this is going to be his time to sort of shine, take on a team, own it, but doesn't seem to be the case. That's absolutely true. All right. <clears throat> we are now moving into week eight, which is going to put a little pressure on us, a little more pressure than the entire Seahawks defensive line put on Kyle Murray last week. But um, zero sacks, <laughs> zero sacks. Everson Griffin actually just got traded from the, the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, to the Lions. So apparently, the Lions are going to be a good team now. Who knows what's going to happen? Trade deadline coming up. Please stay by your Twitter sphere. Um, I'll start us off. Falcons, Panthers, Thursday night football. Look, as I already said earlier, the Panthers narrowly missed going to overtime against the Saints last week because Joey Sly, who was like on the COVID test you know, protocol, and then was off, and I dropped him on my fantasy team. Like an idiot. Ugh. That guy's getting me points. Uh, he missed what would be a record-length field goal, 65 yards. I can't fault the, the Panthers for coming up short for trying to kick a 65-yard field goal. They obviously believe the guy can do it. That being said, I've been a Panthers stand on this podcast. Rumors are that McCaffrey time has come back to a TV set near you as early as this week, this Thursday. If he can practice this week. And if not, he's got to come back because next week they play the Chiefs. So that means we're finally going to get McCaffrey back. And this team has actually been riding the wave and not doing too bad. That being said, I think it's time to find out if he pounding is what you say when your head is doing after a rocket's night of drinking. Or if it means that the Panthers are going to dig deep, believe in their motto, and win against the hapless Falcons. Uh, I think they do. I think the Panthers will improve this week and go four and four. I got a pretty big one: Steelers Ravens. Uh, Steelers are six and zero. Oh, Ravens are five and one. I mean, it's I've been saying all season. I didn't quite think Lamar was uh, really looking like the Lamar, uh, you know, days of future past, so to speak. And I think this might be one of those games. Uh, that kind of not exposes them, but I do think that there's definitely going to be something there uh, that's worth taking a look at. Uh, I think the Steelers are going to win this one unless Lamar comes out and he kind of gets back into that throwing the ball all over, all over the place and using his legs to extend the run. Right now, they're at like 44% designed runs, which previously doesn't seem to be the recipe for success for them. Um, 
do they rely on the runs? Sure, of course they do. Everybody should be cycling that in, but what we saw this last weekend is that almost nobody was. Uh, but if you want to beat a, an undefeated team and a team that's playing well like the Steelers, you got to be able to throw the ball and run the ball. You can't rely on just one facet of the game because they'll take that away. You thought the Titans going in were going to make a, a, a run of it on the ground. You thought they were going to do well with Derrick Henry in the backfield, and they held the entire team to under 80 yards or, or right around 80 yards. Um, they have to be able to do the same thing. They have to put up more yardage on the ground uh, while also still continuing to spread out the ball. So if Lamar doesn't bounce back, I think this one is uh, another tough loss for the Ravens. Oof. All right. You think that the, the Steelers could go like 14 and 2? Uh, I think they'll do. They'll probably. Only they have a really lose. soft schedule coming up. They'll lose maybe. Le- I, yes, they'll lose less than a handful of games. I think they'll start losing some big games towards the end. Uh, they've managed to avoid a lot of the big injury bugs like some of the other teams that we considered in that same conversation. Um, but I think uh, long-term or overall, I think at some point it's, you know, it'll, it'll catch up with them a little bit. Interesting. All right, I got Rams, Dolphins. Look, the Dolphins are good. Okay. They beat the Niners who thoroughly beat the Rams and the Rams beat the Bears. You know what that means? The Dolphins are better than the Bears, but it doesn't mean that the Bears are better than the Dolphins. No, it doesn't. And it also doesn't mean that the Dolphins are better than the Rams. Did you see what I did there? I'm trying to confuse you. But look, this is the thing. It's two a time now in Miami, and they had a bye week. I would tend to think this sort of stuff means we're setting up for a really good game. We all want to see if the hype is exactly what Miami drafted him for. Is it Tunga Baloa time? Tua, are you going to be able to do it? Because I know you've been seeing your other draft classmates absolutely lightening up. And I'm sure you want to do it too. As a left-hander, no left-handed quarterbacks in the league except for you. You want to set all those nice records. But the Rams are beginning to find their footing. Now, again, they beat up on the hapless Bears, but that's what you expect a team like that to do. Um, The Rams do have a couple questionable losses, and the Dolphins have shown they're able to scheme together for big games when it counts. I'm going to go shocker here. I think the Dolphins win by two points. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. I I don't even know why I'm pretending to give this one any any more thought. I have Jets Chiefs Chiefs. <laughs> Start Chiefs defense. Although it would be funny to see the, the the Jets string together a couple of good drives and actually come out and win this one. Which a couple. I said you're gonna need I like said, a couple every quarter. I said this to you uh, two weeks ago. During the the Seahawks game, where I was like, mm, I got a bad feeling about this. This is one of those games that gives me some weird tingles, where it's like the undefeated Patriots against the the Dolphins, where the Dolphins were terrible, but when they played and they played them close. Do I think the Jets are gonna win this? No, no, no. But part of me wouldn't be surprised if somehow they find a way to squeak this one out, and everyone stops and says, like, what the hell's going on here? Are we living in the Matrix or the Upside Down? I don't know. The Chiefs are going to win this one. My prediction is the Chiefs. Okay, but all right, all right. I, 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 was, most... I, I had to freeze there for a second. I was like, what <laughs> no. is this man saying? Like... No, it's, 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 dude, it's 2020 and anything goes. So I, I'm just saying if somehow next week we're talking about it and the Jets found a way to win this, uh, 
let's not say I'll be the most surprised because that would probably be the most 2020 thing that's happened so far this year. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Vikings Packers. Look, I don't understand how the Viking season is going to hell in a handbasket so quick, but here we are. Here's a limit test, okay? First, the Pack. If Minnesota cannot put together anything against Aaron Rodgers and the Pack, they're going to get annihilated. The Vikings traded this offseason for Yannick Ngakwe from the Jaguars. They traded him before his first season with them was even over to the Ravens. Calvin Cook, hold out. Gets his contract. Look, he looks every bit worth the money they signed him for when he's healthy. When he's not, their offense is listless. They can't really get anything going. I know it's a played-out topic. I am now joining the Kirk Cousins doubters and wondering if this show, in its second season, is running out of fans. Okay, there's just no way they should be one and five. Not with the talent they have, not with their coaching pedigree, or they're coming off of their bye week. If we're being 100% honest, if this team has decided to tank or wants to move on from high cap veterans or surprise the hell out of us, all three of those things wouldn't surprise me. But against the pack, I'm saying there's no pack, no way the Vikings win. Colts, Lions. Uh, this game's. Probably a little closer than what you would expect on paper. Uh, at least points scored per game. These the, these two teams are almost identical at 26 points. Um, passing yards per game, they average about the same. So I think this one could be a real toss-up. I think Phillip Rivers and uh, those guys tend to have it together a little bit more than I think Detroit does. Uh, Detroit's had to rely on Stafford making some magic at the the tail end of some of these games, but um, I don't think they the, the Lions don't necessarily pass the the three and three sniff test. They're not they don't look like a five hundred team. So I'm gonna go Colts on this one. I'm gonna go Colts by I'm gonna go Colts by uh let's, let's do Colts by two two touchdowns two touch oh my goodness. I know, I know. I got it. I got it. Everyone, hey, you got to throw one out every now and again. Oh, my God. Okay. I got Raiders Browns. (laughs) Look, okay. Odell Beckham, gone for the year. Mayfield, Mm -hmm. good again. And the Raiders, they have to remove the stigma that they're not a good team. What does this mean? I think that the Raiders find a way to keep this interessante. They had three rushers last week. So they were trying to kind of get something going, right? And they all went over double-digit yards. Now it was like, you know, 25 yards a piece. But, like, you, when everyone's contributing, that means the play calling is working. And there, there's some success. So you're going to find a way to go, and I don't think there's anywhere for them to go but up. I think they fixed the mistakes that they had last week. Because if Joe Burrows can find a way to put up 406 passing yards on this team, Derek Carr should be able to as well. I think Raiders, I think by field goal. Uh, Titans, Bengals. Um, they got the one o'clock game. This one, this one, this one's a tough one for me. I, I mean, I, I obviously everything. And me personally, I'm leaning the Titans. Uh, I think the I think Tannehill is just a lot more efficient than Burroughs is. Tannehill has 15 touchdowns on the season to Burroughs nine, even though Burroughs has maybe 500 more yards ish on the season. Um, I just think that well, the Bengals have played some pretty close games. I don't know if any of them have been to the same caliber as the Titans are. 
Uh, I think this one will actually be closer than what we expect them to be. Uh, even though Tennessee averages almost a full touchdown more per game than what Cincinnati does, points allowed per game uh, is pretty similar. So I, I do think this one's probably going to be closer than what we would like, but I'm going to go Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Team Tannehill. Team Tannehill. Team Tannehill. I mean, just to let you know, I mean, I've been rolling with him in my fantasy squads. I've been rolling with Titans players in my fantasy squad because I, I trust you, them. You trust me. So you're saying. Uh, yes, yes. Yes, Tim. I trust you. All right. <laughs> Patriots Bills. Look, this is litmus test 2.0 for the Patriots. If the Patriots cannot right the ship here, I think the division is in jeopardy and Miami or Buffalo is, is going to eke it out. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Patriots cannot lose their game in a row. They just can't. Uh, Buffalo will need to get right in this game. They surprisingly let the Jets put points on them before finding a way, you know, to, to kind of come back on top. But no Josh Allen rushing or passing touchdowns last week makes me think this is a trap game for the Bills Mafia. I don't see Belichick losing four in a row. And I don't think the Bills fans want to hear that, but I'm sorry. I got to stick with the Patriots here. They're going to find a way to right the ship. 24-21 Patriots. Seahawks, Niners, Sam. You're not going to like this. Okay. Yeah, you're not going to like this. Two teams, I think, uh, obviously, when you look at the Seahawks, the Seahawks themselves look to be just a much better team when you actually start diving into the numbers a little bit you kind of got to get a little worried about this particular matchup um points allowed per game san francisco's only got about 19 seattle gives up about 28 a game 28.7 so as we've seen over the last couple weeks jimmy g and those guys are trying they're starting to find their identity when Kittle gets going it's a really really thing to really difficult thing to defend against um Cam, I mean, not Cam, Russ is like far outperforming Garoppolo on the season. He's got about a thousand yards more and uh, 22 touchdowns to Jimmy G's seven touchdowns. So we all know they're a point scoring machine, but Jimmy G's never been, you know, the wonder boy with the arm. He's always been a great game manager and they're finding ways to, to, to win games against teams that, you know, we obviously wrote them off on a couple of those weeks. They've got a lot of guys who are down. They weren't without injuries again this weekend with a couple guys going out, but still came in. They st- they played very well against the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots played well against the Seahawks. So if we're using that same sort of analogy, you would expect that game, this game to be a little bit closer. I actually worry a little bit about the Seahawks. I think the Niners might actually find a way to squeak this one out as well. Uh, I think Jimmy G, they're going to come in with a good plan. Um, if Russ stays on his game plan that he's had all season, he's going to give the ball up once or twice, if not more than that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think I think the Niners are going to find ways to turn that into points. Uh, it'll probably come down to another, you know, last few drives or at the tail end of the fourth quarter to really determine this game. Uh, but unfortunately, I do think the Niners are going to take this one. Sorry, sorry, Sam. Once <sighs> once that first loss goes down, you know, it's easier to 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 bet against them um yeah not we'll not stay. because we'll not because they're a bad team i just think that you know like other teams that we saw in the cowboys everybody and, and uh the falcons the qbs are putting up massive amounts of points and massive yardage their defense is just terrible 
And the Niners, the Niners are one of those teams that can take advantage of that because they do give up fewer points than a lot of the other teams that are uh, currently out there. So just unfortunately not, not looking good. Moving on from your the Niners, bullshit prediction, the, which is not going to come I mean, true. <laughs> the, the Niners are fifth in the league in points allowed versus uh, Seahawks, which are 23rd in the league. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. No bueno. All right. No bueno. All right. Chargers, Broncos. The battle of the two and fours. Look, suddenly the Chargers kind of look like, even though injuries could have derailed a promising season, the points are abounding, as they did last week. Herbert can absolutely cook when the team is gelling, and that defense couldn't really get anything to stop the Jags from trying to keep it close until late in the game. So Broncos just came off a shellacking for the Chiefs in the snow, and that's what you'd expect. But Vic Fangio was able to make Patrick Mahomes human-esque, okay? He had one passing touchdown. They didn't need to do anything because his, his own Broncos offense gifted 14 points to the Chiefs. That being said, I don't see the Chargers making the same mistakes this week. Chargers 21, Broncos 17. At the 425, Saints-Bears. This is another one exactly like the game we just talked about. Breeze is coming out. He's putting up uh, decent games. I know he was a little shaky. They're finding ways to win games. But even though they rank 7th in points scored per game, they rank 24th in points allowed per game versus Chicago, who ranks a measly 7th. So I think this is another one of those where it could go either way. If the defense for the Bears really starts buckling down and really holds Breeze to having to make plays, we've already seen he tends to struggle a little bit when you have to start doing these little dunk and dying games. Um, his accuracy seems to be off a little bit this season. I think Foles and the Bears come in with a relatively decent game plan. Um, they're going to have to score more points than they, they have been because even though points allowed per game by New Orleans is uh, averaging around 29 points, Chicago is still only scoring about 19 points per game. So uh, even with that math, it's still not quite enough because they average, New Orleans averages you know, about twice as many points per game. So, uh, without getting too muddled in the numbers there, I think this is going to be one of those where if the Bears can come down and really lock down the Saints, they could squeak this one out. Uh, I'm going to go Bears by a close one. Wow. Okay. I know. I know. Saints, right. Saints have been shaky all season. They're another one of they those haven't. that when you look at the eye, you know, the eye test for me is big because I think when you just look at the record and you're like, oh, okay, they're you know, beating most of the teams that they played. When you watch the games, you're like, oh, but they're not as solid of wins. They're like a couple plays away from losing. I think this might be one of those where if they screw around and cough the ball up once or twice, I think I think they're asking for, for an L. All righty. Uh, Sunday night football, Cowboys, Eagles. <laughs> the battle of the two and five versus the battle of the two, four, and one. Um, oof. That's all I really got to say about this game. <laughs> One of these teams has got to win this game, but you, you never know. They they come out with a second tie, and that would just be absolutely bananas on 2020 for brand and on NFC East for brand. Somebody has to come out of this dog pile. I don't think I have a ton of faith in the Cowboys if Andy Dalton isn't under center. 
something seems philosophically wrong with this team. I don't get it. You mentioned it earlier when the quarterback got hit, no one piled, you know, on trying to defend their quarterback. There's been fumbles galore outside yep. of a couple people making all of the plays. Like the defense is just like not existent. And there just doesn't seem to be effort. And I kind of feel like the football gods, if I'm being honest, are punishing Jerry Jones for saying he paid Dak, air quotes, and then just give a franchise tag. Like th- that to me seems like the most most reasonable thing that's going on. I'm not really superstitious. I'm not really religious. But I'm just thinking, you kind of pissed someone off, Jerry Jones. Um, he actually got so upset at a radio host this week that he told the host to shut up. There's something that's like around this team, and it's like really bugging them. And I think – this is the this is the week they really want to put those dabbers behind them. But ask the Washington football team how their play cratered after paying Kirk Cousins a whole bunch of money on the franchise tag for no reason when they could have signed him to a long term deal. They could have moved him. Um, Carson Wentz needs this game to start shaking the monkeys off of his back because people are saying, "Oh, you're continuing to throw interceptions. You throw some touchdowns, like good for you, but you have nobody on the offense that you can throw to because they're injured. You have." You can't stop anyone. I do think that this week, the Eagles are going to take a commanding one-game lead in the NFC East with a victory over the Dakless Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Lord knows they need to start winning football games now or this division is going to become even more of a dumpster fire than it already is. Good grief. Fly, Eagles, fly. Please. Please. Charlie Brown. Please. All right, I got the Monday night game. I got Giants, uh, Buccaneers. You thought when Brady left that division, uh, the New York teams are going to find a way to make some moves. Um, Outside the Bills, that's not happening. Uh, Daniel Jones has, you know, not been amazing. We'll say, we'll we'll put it that way. Uh, He actually only has 500 yards less than Brady does, but Brady had a few of those games where they won, but, uh, he didn't put up a ton of yardage. He seems to have kind of figured that out. He's also been super efficient when he does throw the ball, uh, even though he's had about 1,900 yards to Daniel Jones, 1,400 yards. He has 18 touchdowns to Daniel Jones's five. Now, some of that has to do with Daniel Jones' lack of production and Brady putting up touchdowns by, you know, the fours or fives the last few games. But uh, surprisingly enough, we all we all thought going into this that the Buccaneers uh, might be a decent team. There is a uh, an on-air friend of mine who might be on television for a television station who sent me a prediction saying that uh, he honestly thought the Buccaneers were going to be Super Bowl contenders, and he's the same guy who correctly picked last year, uh, not only the contenders, but the winners. Uh, so uh. I, thought maybe, I thought maybe it was a little dreamy, um, but I mean... The Bucs, man, they're third in points scored per game, and they're they're eighth in points allowed. So not only is their defense doing well, their offense is firing on all cylinders. They seem to have found their way. Gronkowski's been mixed in. Uh, Brown might come back next week. This is this is a team that literally – I saw a meme that says, so what, Tom Brady went to Florida, and now he's assembling the Avengers, and that's not that entirely inaccurate. This game has the ability to just completely out of hand uh, I mean, they put up 40-plus points more last season. I mean, last weekend and in the, the weeks prior. This one, I think, could really get out of hand if they come out firing. Um, I think they go up big. and They win by you know several touchdowns in this one. 
Right, the Giants do. Because, you know, the Giants are 2-0 versus Brady when it counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 you guys, yeah, yeah. You guys can't see this, but I'm giving him the friend's uh, fist bump. <laughs> if, you don't know, if you don't know what that is, uh, Google Ross fist bump. Ross fist bump. Okay. That is week eight in a nutshell. We did what's in my cup earlier. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of the Staff Summoner Podcast. Hopefully we do better with our picks this week than we did last week, because last week mm. we sucked. We sucked. <laughs> all right. Shout out to uh, Vacationland. Thanks. Yes. Uh, shout out to Jim O'Brien. Wrapping the care threads. package, the love. You can't see it, but Sam is wearing your vintage, we'll call it your vintage hoodie. Some yeah, swag. limited edition, first run, never to be seen again. Right, way back when uh, Vacation Land first got started. Edition, if you will. That's right. This all started as a college project uh, for for Jim, um, working inside of a brewery, and that sort of planted the seed and led us to where we are. So shout out to them. Shout out to all the listeners. Uh, I can't tell you guys how enthused I am every single time I look at what our numbers are day in and day out. The growth is is amazing. You guys are obviously listening. You're tuning in. I'm getting people text messaging me and messaging me regularly now, um, talking about the things they did like, talking about the things they don't like, finding ways to constantly improve week in and week out. We're really trying. Um, again, you know, we've said it a lot. We encourage you guys to do the same thing. Let us know what you want to hear. If you think we're full of shit, tell us. We'd love to have that conversation because, uh, you know, if, if you know we're misrepresenting something or you think we're off bases, let us know. We'll have the conversation. We'll even bring it up and talk about it on, uh, on one of our recordings. So thank you guys once again. Uh, we really love you. little insight. It took almost three months for us to get to a thousand downloads. It's taken us half the time to more than double that. So, shout out to everybody tuning in. Been shout fantastic. Out to the listeners. We are on a rocket ship to the moon right now. We're taking you all with us. Did you know they found water on the moon? Traces of water. I, I, I did see that actually. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, guys. Peace. Cheers. Cheers.